Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Job is what we're going to go to, the book of Job. You could call it the job. Some of you need a job, but we're going to go to the book of Job, J-O-B. And we're going to read today chapters 1 and 2 from the book of Job. And so I'll read it. You can listen along or you can follow along on the screen. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Wow, that makes me look light. (laughs) Ten kids. Imagine having ten kids. I mean, people stare at us with four, but ten? When we, and when we went away last year, we were in um, Italy, and there was a lot of German people where we were staying. And I don't think German families have more than two kids. I think it's just two kids. I think that's what German families do. And when they saw us, they kept pointing. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like in The Greatest Showman, like just because we had four. But Job had ten. And he owned 7,000 sheep. 3,000 Dread donkeys, sorry, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. Thank you, I can now read. I was struggling. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming the earth and going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sebians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servant to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Talk about bad news. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. 
For the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you not considered my servant Job? For there is no one on earth quite like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity. Though if you incited me against him to ruin him without reason, skin for sin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God, but not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bilhadad the Shuite, and Jophah the Namathamite, heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him, for they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, which was custom at that time. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Wow. (laughs) Crazy passages of scripture. There's a lot, if I'm honest, about Job, the book of Job, that I do not understand. There's lots of things about the book of Job that kind of I find it hard to compute with. There are some scholars that believe Job is not actually a real life account, but is more of a story used to help people show levels of suffering and how God engages with that. So there are some schools of thought that this is a real life encounter. There are some schools of thought that it is more of like a Old Testament parable. Um, and so obviously we don't know that for sure, but people do believe that it was written around the time just after the book of Genesis. So even though it's before the book of Psalms, chronologically it would come a lot earlier than that. The other things in the book of Job I don't really understand is God kind of just having a casual conversation with Satan about what God will allow to happen. And yeah, sure, you can take out his kids and you can take out all his livestock, but don't lay a hand on the man. I find it hard to kind of, I don't know about you, but understand this book sometimes and maybe it'd be good to do a study for some of you to think about that but I'm just being honest with you there are times when I read the book of Job and I'm like I don't get it (laughs) I don't get how God can like it's saying allow Satan to do that up to a certain point and even give him permission to do that and I say that to set some context for the book of Job because Really what the book of Job shows is this devastation at the front end. And then for like 38 chapters in the middle, there is almost like a life group that takes place between Job and his friends. And then it culminates in the ending that we'll come to in a few moments time. The bombshell from this book that I really want to share with you today is that whether you follow God or if you don't follow God, You still have to accept that life brings you good and life brings you bad. (laughs) We often think that Jesus within us acts as a vaccine to life's diseases and life's challenges. 
That because Jesus dwells within me, because I'm a Christian, because I'm a follower of God, because I serve, because I come to church, because I get, then like Jesus is a vaccine to life's diseases and life's challenges to protect me from it because of that. Now, without doubt, the psalmists are quite clear and the psalmists encourages us that God can and God often protects us. I know for firsthand there have been times of God's protection over my life. People have prayed and God has protected us. I've been in some car crashes that I should not have survived. One major one that really should not have survived. And yet I came away totally unscathed. And we could say it's a coincidence. We could say whatever it might be. But I also believe there was the protection of God over my life. Some of you know that God has protected you. Some of you know that God has protected your kids. But God doesn't just protect your kids. Guess what? God will also protect kids of those who don't follow him. Of those who don't tithe, who don't give, who don't serve, who don't honour him. God does not protect one but not protect the other. No, God is kind and compassionate. So I kind of want to move away from this religious thing that says, because I've given this month, God is going to protect me. Now we could go to Malachi chapter 3 and talk about the curse. We're not going to go there today because that's a whole different kind of context. But I kind of want to help you understand that God is kind, he is gracious and he is compassionate. And his mercy falls on the godly and the ungodly. And so does his protection. But also what it reveals through the book of Job is that life's challenges happen to you no matter who you are. Job, the most upright man in all of the earth, faces Scenario after scenario of destruction after destruction after destruction after destruction. Surely if there was anyone exempt from that level of pain or suffering, it's Job. Look what he's done. He's upright. He shuns evil. He fears God and yet loses his children, loses his cattle, loses all of his possessions, loses all of his servants. And then to make matters worse, has blisters and boils all over his body that he has to use pottery to keep himself from itching it so badly. But the experiences often in life will tell you that good things sometimes happen to bad people and also bad things sometimes happen to good people. In fact, the Bible says in Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this, who knew what it was to to experience good and to experience bad. He says he felt harassed at every turn, did Paul the Apostle. He said he had conflicts on the outside of his life and he had fears within his life, 2 Corinthians 7. I kind of like that passage of scripture. Conflicts on the outside, fears within him. But then he goes on to say in the next verse, but God comforts the downcast. And so God isn't a vaccine from the trouble, but I believe God is a comfort in the trouble. And as I walk with God more and more, and I suppose as I become more mature in God, what I'm learning more and more in relationship with him is this. And I suppose this is, I don't really have necessarily a title for today, but this is the main takeaway thought from today's message. Is this, that when we go through something bad, God can use it to take us through something good. It's really the synopsis of what I really wanted to say. If you wanted a title, it could be this. When bad things become good things. When bad things become good things. 
Now, when I say that, we can sometimes be quite flippant with it and go, well, if there's bad things, but yet good things coming, then forget the bad. How many of you know it's quite hard to forget the bad things? It's hard to diminish the bad things because the bad is still real. The bad is still quite raw. Now, when I'm talking about bad things, there are obviously levels of degrees of what you would consider bad. For Job, I consider this to be quite severe. (laughs) I'd be surprised if anyone has gone through the bad things that Job has gone through. But I'm sure some of you in here have lost loved ones. I'm sure some of you in here have lost siblings or parents or maybe even children. That must be the worst of the worst. I'm sure some of you have lost possessions. I'm sure of you, some of you had bad times. Maybe you've had a, a fire in your house or you've lost um, um, things with your, your material possessions or you've lost a job or things have just been bad and maybe over the past year and a half you've experienced that more than ever before. But we can't diminish that because the bad is still real. Job like, loses his kids, he loses his house, he loses his livestock and then he loses his health. Talk about a losing streak. <laughs> It doesn't get much worse than that. And you can't just skate over that. You can't just move on from that. And I don't think God is asking us just to move on from that and Jake and Job just to move on from that. You need healing from that kind of pain. And all of us have different levels of bad is what I'm trying to say. And as a result of that, all of us need different levels of healing. Some people need healing and it comes through comfort from a friend and a conversation. Some people need maybe a little bit more intense, deeper healing that takes longer. It could involve counselling or it could involve therapy or it could involve professional help. Or, you know, everyone is at different stages. But what I'm trying to say is all of us, if not before, will experience some level of bad in our life. Bad things that just make you sad, make you frustrated, make you angry, make you disappointed, make you cry, make you just fearful, make you lost, make you totally at end of yourself. We need healing. But yet Job's response is phenomenal. Look at his response in the book of, in the end, the end of, end, what end of Job chapter one. For he says, for the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job knows that what God has given, I can also lose. And I think that's sometimes why rather than holding our life like this, we hold it more like this. That we say, God, what is in my hands is actually come from you. I don't want to hold it all to myself because you have given it, but I can also lose it. But I know you can also replace it. God, I submit my hands to you. And for 38 chapters of the book of Job. Job lives in the camp of bad. Let's call it that, the camp of bad. (laughs) With no sign of good coming. 38 chapters he is there of just sadness, pain, suffering. And I have a question to you today, and you don't have to answer me publicly, but you can speak to me privately if you want. Like, how do you do that? (laughs) How do you live in 38 chapters of this level of pain? This level of sadness. Because some people, maybe even here today, you have lived in years in the camp of sadness or anger or frustration that the bad has brought upon your life. And it reminds you daily, it wakes you up. Years go by and you still remember that moment, you still remember those times, you still remember the loss, you still remember that person, you still remember that situation, you still remember that circumstance. 
For 38 chapters, Job is in the camp of the bad. And when people go through those times, because we see people in church, and I'm sure you see people, and they look like they have experienced maybe 38 chapters of the camp of bad. They sometimes talk like it. They sometimes respond like it. And sometimes as a Christian in church, it's sometimes easy, hey, you know, come on, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Move on, brother, move on, sister. You know, and we love to be quick to give a scripture and we love to be quick to give an encouraging word and I'll pray for you tonight. And that is important and helpful and vital and so I'm not undermining any of that. But you can't simply judge people who you know have gone through bad stuff when you don't know what it feels like to lose what Job has lost. I don't know how to comfort a man who has lost all of his children. I hold my hand up and say, I don't think I have the pastoral chops currently in my life to help process that person. I'm not sure I have the pastoral capacity or heart or counsel to be able to speak to somebody who loses all of their possessions or loses all of their livestock or their livelihood. I just don't feel like I have necessarily the ability. Now, God might give me the ability supernaturally to cope and help in those kind of places. But what I've learned is I cannot judge those people. I don't know what it feels like to lose what Job has lost. And three friends come to confront and help, not to confront, but to comfort Job. Three of his friends, the Bible says, immediately they leave, they agree, we're going to come and we're going to comfort you. And I like what it says. The Bible says they sat with him on the ground for seven days and said nothing. Think about that. I love the Bible. So helpful sometimes. They came with him, sat with him on the floor, because that's where Job was sat. And they went to his level, sat with him for seven days and said nothing. Some pastoral advice I received when I was in training. In fact, just a couple of years ago, someone helped me with this. Um, and they said, the way you support people through grief. Okay, and this maybe helps some of you today. The way you help and support people through this is you show up and you shut up. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. You show up and you shut up. Sometimes we show up and we want to be all full of what's next, this is what you need to do, do this, do this, do this, do this. But sometimes you just need to show up and shut up. And the three friends come to Job and that is exactly what they do. Why? Because your presence is powerful enough. Just you being there is powerful enough. I've, I've been many times by a hospital bed holding the hands of the patient or the person who is sick. And just being there you almost feel is enough. I don't need to say anything. Don't underestimate the presence that you have. Like these three friends come that they come and bring with Job. And so when you go through bad, you probably won't forget the bad and you could even be scarred by the bad. But it doesn't need to mean your life will always be defined by bad. <laughs> you might not forget it and you might be scarred from it, but your life does not need to be defined as bad. Because when God gets involved in the bad... God has an ability, number one, and a desire, number two. He has an ability, number one, and he has a desire, number two, to do two things. And the two things I want to just kind of bring into this message and this passage of scripture. God has the ability to do two things. Number one, he has the ability to redeem. 
And number two, he has the ability to restore. Everybody say redeem and restore. And really the book of Job, if we want to go a little bit deeper with it, is really a story, real life or not. I believe it is real and I believe it is truth. The whole Bible is truth, but what I mean by a real life encounter. It is, it is the God's redemptive power. It is God's restorative power over a man called Job. Because we're going to flick 35 chapters to the book of Job, chapter 38. And we don't need to read scriptures from that verse, chapter, because it just titles God Speaks. <laughs> For 35 chapters, Job's friends have been chatting. <laughs> they did well for seven days. <laughs> Then they decided to speak. And if we're honest, in those 35 chapters, they bring confusion to Job. They confront him on different things. They ask him, well, maybe it's because of this. Maybe there is some hidden sin. Maybe there's this, this, and this. For 35 chapters, they speak. And then in Job 38, God speaks. And the next four chapters of the book of Job is God taking Job on a journey from the bad to the good you see sometimes when you walk with God you have to realize this sometimes to get to the good places sometimes you have to travel through some bad places don't know if you've ever been on holiday before and like the bus picks you up from the airport and you're in the bus and you've paid a lot of money for this holiday and you're in Greek islands and you're on the bus and you're like where on earth are we what is that and it just does not, not look like a holiday destination. But you need to realize you're traveling through some bad places to get to the good places. And sometimes what we want to do at the airport is we simply want to arrive at Mykonos, Santorini, Scarborough International Airport, Doncaster, land and be teleported to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Just close your eyes. (laughs) To the sunbed, to the drink, the non-alcoholic pina colada. (laughs) But sometimes you have to go through some bad places to get to the good places. And Job has to go through 35 chapters of bad to come to four chapters of good. And I say that because really what I'm trying to emphasize is in life what I've learned to realize with God more and more is that walking with God, bad things can become good things. If you can walk through Those bad places. What does it say in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You could stop there and go, well, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. But I love what it says at the end of Psalm 23. It talks about, um, and as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it leads me to dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, full of his goodness and mercy following me. But I can't get there if I stop walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And David knew what it was to have pain and suffering and trouble 
and trials. And some of you are listening to me today to go, I'm nowhere near that level. And I, I'm not, this might not be, I don't want to bring fear into anyone's life, but life presents things to you that you just, you just don't know what's going to come. And so we have to be prepared as mature believers for whatever life might throw at us. So that if it does come, and we pray that it doesn't, but if it does, we kind of have some handles on how to handle it. Some of you have been through this level of suffering and have been through this level of mourning and trial. And I want to help you understand that, number one, God is a redemptive God. He is a redeemer. There is a redeemer, Jesus Christ, my some of you know it you proper old school Christians those of you pre 1980s worship team are going oh no 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 God is redemptive what does redeem mean redeem means to regain possession of God is in the business of regaining possession of what has been lost. But redemption goes beyond that. It is a regaining possession. How does he do that? By in exchange for payment. So I'm redeeming this item by paying you for it. I'm restoring, I'm redeeming it. I am regaining possession of what is rightfully mine that has been lost. I can't just go in and steal it. That's not redemption. No, to redemption is to go in and pay a price for it. And so Jesus on the cross is a redemptive saviour. He pays the price and regains possession of life for all of us. That is why it talks about how Jesus is our redeemer. He paid the price for our sin and as a result we, we regain life from it. So when you go through bad stuff... When you go through the bad things of life, whatever degree it might be on the scale, we need to understand what it says in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Look what it says here as it comes on the screen. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That in all things God works. What does that mean? God's redemption kicks in. God redeems. That when you go through all things, God will always use the all things to work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So therefore, why does God redeem? He redeems because he loves what he loves what he creates. And what God creates and what God establishes, when that gets robbed, God uses his power and God uses his ability to redeem that. And it is rooted in his love and it is rooted in his care of what he has created and established. And so therefore, I want to encourage you today and say Jesus can redeem your sin. He can redeem your health. He can redeem your business. He can redeem your life. Why? Because God is a redemptive God. And in exchange for something, he gives over and we get to receive and regain possession of. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So number one, God is redemptive. And number two, God is restorative. 
To restore simply means to bring back something back to its original condition or better than it was before. In fact, biblical restoration talks about not just taking it back to what it was, but significantly better than it was before. Months and maybe even over a year, two years ago now, I did a message about restoration. You can probably listen to it on Spotify. Talks about how God restores because, wow, that's loud. Just because you're married, Luke, now, and you want everyone to know you're married. By the way, the best wedding I've been to in 2021 was Luke and Catherine's wedding. It's the only one I've been to, but it's the best one I've been to. It was amazing. He restores. A few weeks ago in lockdown, well, it wasn't even in lockdown, but you know what? When you, I don't know if you've ended up watching some weird TV in lockdown. <laughs> I was watching a TV program about a guy who binds books. <laughs> it's on BBC Two at like nine o'clock at night. You know, that's weird. People watch those kind of things. And this guy, all he does is he restores books. You take him an old book and someone brought him a book that was 200 years old and he spends time restoring it. Then they give it back to the family where it's come through the generations. And it's amazing. They break down in tears. Why? Because they have the ability to restore it better than it ever probably even was when it was originally made. That is what God does. He has the ability to restore the book of your life better than it ever was before. Because life had damaged this book but the restorative power of the book binder restored it and made it even better. And so look what it says in Job 42 as we bring this message to a close right now. Job 42, verse 10. It said, after Job had prayed for his friends, I love Job, he's even praying for his friends. They've come to pray for him, he's praying for them. The Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. For all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all of the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons. And three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kazaya, and the third Keren Hapuf. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful in, as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years old. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years God blessed his life more than the first because God is redemptive and God is restorative and God will take you from bad things and lead you into good things and some of you have had so much bad and I want to prophesy and say God is about to use it and make it into good He's about to do something with the bad that you've experienced and use it for something's good. It is what he does. He turns our sorrow into joy. He turns our mourning into dancing. 
And I really believe that God spoke to me this week to encourage, even if it's just one person in this room today with this. You've gone through some bad stuff, but I really believe God is going to take you from the bad and bring it into the good like he does with Job. 2021 for us as a family has not been the easiest year. We're blessed as a family. We're, we're in love as a family. We're still joyful as a family. But if we're honest, we've not had Job's level of suffering. Let's just put that straight. But we've had a certain level of discomfort, inconvenience, pain. 3rd of Jan, we had, I had a car crash outside this church building, slid on the ice, boom, smashed our car to pieces. The next day, Abs fell on the ice and broke her wrist. She was in a cast for like two months. A couple of months later, we move out of our house, um, only to find out that the house we're moving to isn't ready for us to move into, and they've now entered a long chain, and so we're supposed to be out in two days, and we have nowhere to live. (laughs) The day after we find that out, the day after the 6th of April, a van that we are using to, to take all of our items in our house to where we're going to be staying temporarily literally outside of our house as we're putting things in it gets stolen with all of our things in it and driven off and robbed and we're there going "Ah." ring up the police police can't find it and then other things happen then we head into May and obviously we're aware of some of the challenges the wider church of life church have had and the pressures connected to that and people's disappointment with their experiences over the church over years and hurts and it's painful because you're there going like, I know you and we've prayed together, we've led together, we've like done things together and I'm really sorry that maybe your experience of what you expected hasn't been matched by maybe our leadership or the culture that we've created and kind of thing after thing after thing I suppose you could call it bad after bad after bath no death <laughs> let's get some perspective no death no serious sickness no serious illness and so we're grateful for that but do you know what just tough things and you go and God I don't know how good can come from this but when we have to move out of our house we ended up moving in immediately with a family who opened up their doors to us and beautiful family called the Corridon family they've got three kids we've got four kids seven kids four adults we had the best five weeks we just enjoyed ourselves had such a great time and we're like what was a bad thing somehow God has made this into a good thing friendship deepened became stronger like we'll be friends for life as a result of that and then we miss the things on the house because the house is delayed so much and this is not a sob story by the way (laughs) missed the delay on the house until there was a stamp duty exemption so we missed the stamp duty and they're going that was a significant amount that we could have saved on that we've got to like pay for that but because it's been so long our mortgage is expired and then the mortgage advisor rings us up to say hey got some good news your mortgage is now a significantly better rate than it was before as a result of missing the stamp duty and you go going oh that's decent yeah and you begin to see these little things where you go maybe bad things actually can become good things and then we have the review and you need to know good will come from the review and even though it's bad actually good will come from it it will have to come from it it's 
how things work. And then as I'm preparing this message on this week and these thoughts are going through my head, 11, 10 past 11 at night, I get a phone call. Is that Mr. David Nibbler? I'm like, yes. He goes, it's Sergeant so-and-so from the West Yorkshire Police. And he says, um, just to let you know, uh, we've retrieved a van that was stolen from you. It's been found in Ilkley and um, you can have it back. <laughs> and you're there going, okay. <laughs> Is that stuff in it? <laughs> that stuff's not in it, but at least we got a van back. And I'm not gloating or boasting about any of these things other than to say bad things can become good things. And even though it's bad, there is an ability in God to be redemptive and for him to be restorative And if you can stay like Job, faithful to him, committed to him, honour him and keep maybe praising him. I just think God kicks into a new level of redemption and restoration. That God can use the worst for the best. And so today as we stand to our feet, I'd love you to declare the goodness of God. Maybe over some bad things in your life. We might not be at the level of Job. But I believe the goodness of God is here today. It is here to encourage. It is here to strengthen. It is here to support. And the guys are going to lead us in this song, whatever it might be, just for a couple of moments. Raise your hands if you feel confident in here. Open up your heart to God. Pour out your praise to Him. And then I'm going to come and pray and close out this service. Amen.